Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, session number 21. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. So today we have someone quite a bit different on the show. You know, I've been writing about peer-to-peer lending now for almost four years, and I do enjoy the writing piece and the research, but I've never considered myself to be a professional journalist. I don't do deep investigative reporting or anything like that. You know, I'm much more of a, of a cheerleader for the industry, uh, an educator, and someone who really shares their own personal experiences. So anyway, what I thought I'd do today is get somebody who is a professional journalist on the show, someone who's been following the industry professionally for some time. So I'm pleased to welcome Tracy Alloway. She is the US financial correspondent for the Financial Times, which is a London-based publication, but has very much a global reach. And if you've been following this industry closely, you will have read several articles that Tracy has done about this industry. She's broken several stories, you know, relating to Lending Club, uh, SoFi and others. So I really was thrilled to get her on the show to really talk about her perspective, how she does what she does and some of the interesting articles that she's written recently. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Tracy. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Okay, so why don't you give the listeners a bit of background about yourself? I mean, a lot of people probably don't know who you are. So just tell the readers just a bit of background. Sure. So I'm the U.S. financial correspondent for the Financial Times, currently based in New York, but I spent a lot of time in London for the past decade, and uh, I actually grew up in Tokyo. Always wanted to be a journalist, and now I'm doing it. All right. All right. So... Then when did you start to cover peer-to-peer lending as a journalist? Sure. So I actually moved to New York about two years ago to cover the big U.S. banks. And believe it or not, they were my entry point for the peer-to-peer industry. I was covering Morgan Stanley at the time when John Mack announced that he was joining the board of Lending Club. Mm -hmm. I had heard about peer-to-peer lending before that, but the fact that John Mack was joining this, this quite fast-growing company piqued my interest, and I decided I, I would take a, a deeper dive into the uh, sector after that. Okay, so you, I mean, obviously, if you've, the Financial Times have been covering the UK P2P lending scene for a long time, so I presume, did, or did, did you come across P2P lending when you were you know, in the UK? I did a little bit. When I was in the UK, I covered capital markets for the paper. And before that, I was on FT Alphaville, which was our finance and markets blog. And Alphaville has a reputation for for being very avant-garde and discussing new and interesting ideas in the financial sector. So I think I'd probably written about it while I was on Alphaville, sort of on the fringes when we were talking about possible technology disruptors. But the first time I really got into it was definitely when I moved to New York and I just found the the U.S. side of it very, very interesting. And, of course, the U.S. peer-to-peer lenders are the largest in the world. So. Mm-hmm. Sure. So what is it about the peer-to-peer lenders here that you find interesting? Well, I just find the story very interesting. It's something that happened after the financial crisis. 
originally it was about people sort of clubbing together to make loans to each other in a more efficient way. It was about using new technology to do it in a more efficient way. It just tapped all these really, really relevant post-financial crisis themes. And I think, you know, as, as the years have gone by, it's just become more interesting, especially now that you have the banks themselves and Wall Street traders and investors and bankers getting more involved in this space. It's just the story that kind of keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And it seems like it's only getting more so. So one thing when I was, uh, before I interviewed you, before I decided to interview you, I, I looked at, at FT.com, which is uh, your website, your Financial Times website. And you're, I would imagine you would say you're equivalent or your big competition in this country is the Wall Street Journal, also obviously the, the leading financial publication here. When I looked, uh, you search the term lending club on both those two sites, uh, you get roughly the same number of relevant articles, which I was really surprised because the FT is an English publication and obviously focusing more on, on, on that country than any other, I imagine. So why do you think the FT has taken such an interest in, in P2P lending and particularly in lending club? Well, I like to think that the FT punches above its weight on a lot <laughs> of financial topics. We are a British-based newspaper, but I think we're unique in having a global outlook. So if we're covering the peer-to-peer industry, you can rest assured that we're going to be covering the peer-to-peer industry outside of the UK as well. So the US obviously has some of the largest peer-to-peer lenders, and amongst those is Lending Club. Mm -hmm. Naturally, we gravitate a lot towards Lending Club. We also cover peer-to-peer on mainland Europe. We also cover peer-to-peer in China, which is an entirely different sector to what it is in the UK and the US. Mm -hmm. So I, I think what makes the FT's coverage a bit unusual is we're able to draw those sort of cross-border comparisons of the industry. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you you know you cover the big banks still, and obviously you're you're writing about far more than just P2P lending. So, right. but, you, but you're talking to these executives at the big banks on a regular basis, I imagine. Does does the topic of P2P lending come up? And if so, what what is their opinion? Yeah, it's a tough one. To be honest, I don't think it's entirely on their radar yet, or Mm -hmm. if it is, it's certainly not big enough for them to sort of have come up with a public response to it yet. One of my favorite stories that we've done involving peer-to-peer was actually about the memo that Wells Fargo circulated where they banned their employees from investing in peer-to-peer loans, citing um, conflicts of interest. That one was kind of unusual, and of course, it was a private memo. It all happened behind the scenes. If you ask a major CEO at a very large bank what they think of peer-to-peer lending, I I don't think they've really got their head around it just yet, and I don't think they would give a a very good answer about what they're doing in response to it or what they think it is or what possible competitive threat it, it might eventually pose to them. Hmm, interesting, interesting. I know, and that, well, that Wells Fargo article, you know, you actually caused them to change tack on that. Yeah. They, they, they've <laughs> since rescinded that ban, which, uh, you know, which is, it is good news, I think, for everybody. So Wells Fargo, obviously well aware of it. And, you know, you've got the people like, you know, Morgan Stanley are well aware of it. But you, what you say is that it's still, it's still so small and it is really small. The, the, the reality is that these banks are some of the largest companies in this country and they you know so you're you're saying it's just you know they're not they're not concerned at all right now 
Well, I think what I'm saying is if they are concerned, they're certainly not sharing those concerns publicly. You know, banks and peer-to-peer lending is a bit of a nuanced story Mm because I think the retail sort of consumer-focused banks don't know quite what to make of it just yet. Certainly the larger ones don't. Some of the more Wall Street, you know, trading and investment-oriented banks are very interested in the sector. They see the opportunity to securitize peer-to-peer loans. They see the opportunity to get IPO fees. They see all sorts of capital markets potential from the sector. Mm -hmm. No one's really digesting, or at least no one publicly appears to be digesting the competitive threat posed by peer-to-peer lenders just on the consumer lending Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. I haven't seen much that would indicate anything different there. So I want to switch gears and just talk about Camp Alphaville, which uh, I know you were, you went back to London for, and you had some quite esteemed people on a panel about peer-to-peer lending. I know you had Renaud Laplanche, the CEO of Lending Club, who was just on the previous show here on the Lend Academy podcast. I believe, was it Cormac Leach as well from Liberum was on there? What Can you just tell us a bit about about that panel, I, I've read virtually nothing about it, so I'd love to get some okay. uh, some insights. Sure. Well, I can point you in the right direction to read something about it. But in the meantime, I mentioned Alphaville before. Alphaville is really our um, cutting-edge finance and markets blog. It's where we discuss a lot of up-and-coming ideas in the financial space. And Alphaville had the brilliant idea to hold a very unusual conference in London to discuss some really interesting concepts. One of those concepts that we wanted to discuss was disruptive technology and banking. So obviously, we had to get some of the peer-to-peer guys in. We also had some people that were looking to do interesting things in terms of disruptive technology on the more investment banking side. But I think what we found through the conversation was that everyone kind of agrees that platform-based technology has the potential to pose a competitive threat to the banks. I guess the big question now is, as we alluded to earlier, the bank's response to that. Do they go head-to-head with it, or do they maybe co-opt some of the technology themselves and start working a a bit more with the peer-to-peer lenders as well? And, you know, we've seen a little bit of that on the edges with some of the announcements from Lending Club. Right, right. Okay. I would like to obviously get a, get a link to any story, and I'll, I'll put those in the in the show notes on lendacademy.com with this podcast so yeah. people can read read more about it. That would be great. I wanted to talk about the story that you broke just uh, a short time ago. I think it was a bit over a month ago about you know the lending club, what the expected valuation is, who the underwriters are going to be. I know you won't give away your sources for that story, but how were you able to get such information and be able to share it publicly? And and also, was Lending Club a little frustrated with you about that? Because, you know, I, there was no press release going out. Yeah, well, that was kind of a funny story because, of course, we broke that news the week before, I think the Friday before Camp Alphaville was held. And we were having <laughs> nice right timing, right. <laughs> yeah, and so we had a, a few people, uh, some conspiracy-minded people, who said that we had clearly been in collusion with Lending Club right. about doing that announcement and generating publicity for Alphaville ahead of it. I assure you that was not the case. Everyone has known for a long time that the Lending Club IPO is coming. Mm-hmm. We've been working on that story for a very, very long time. Obviously, I can't give away any sources, but we are 
deeply sourced both within the peer-to-peer industry and on Wall Street. Right. Okay. So, so obviously, I mean, Renault uh, wasn't so annoyed with you that he cancelled his appearance on Camp Alphaville, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, but I, I meant like you said, they 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 had no comment on the story. So were I mean, would that, is that what you expected? Were you know, did you did you were you hoping to get a bit more meat from them, or how was that story going to play out? Did you did you expect? Well, look, it's always great when the company comments publicly on a story, but we have to, you know, deal with what we're given and we're confident in our sources and we're competent in that story. So we'll see uh, when, when the IPO comes about. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you a question about that in a little bit, but sure. first I want to talk about SoFi because, you know, just, you know, you also broke this story before anybody else, I believe that um you know the the sofi securitization was their second securitization was covered pretty extensively and in the this was this was the first one though that was rated by S&P one of the one of the major rating agencies the other one the pre, the first one was rated by i think it was rated by DBRS but so first my question is you know what is the significance of sofi getting an act, a rating from S&P and and is it that much of a bigger deal than getting it from DBRS Yeah, this is an important story as well, as you point out. I think it's fair to say that getting a rating from S&P is possibly more important than from DBRS. The fact is that there are a lot of very large money managers and insurers and pension funds who can only buy securities that have been rated by one of the top three credit rating agencies. S&P is one of those. DBRS is not, not yet. Right. So the fact that they got this designation from S&P really opens up a whole new range of investors who can buy peer-to-peer loans. The other thing it does, I guess some people would argue, is that it legitimizes the sector a little bit. The unusual thing about the S&P rating was that I think about two or three weeks before, S&P had published a research piece in which they said it was too early to start right. evaluating peer-to-peer securitization. Mm-hmm. So when this story came out, a lot of people were really surprised. And one of the major questions I had was how S&P had, had been able to, I guess, overcome its discomfort in rating peer-to-peer loans. I, I guess the fact that SoFi specializes in student loans helped a little bit. Uh, student loans are generally considered safer than consumer loans. However, I've also heard that the methodology that S&P used for rating the bond can also be extrapolated to consumer loans. So Hmm. quite a few people think this also opens up the the door for consumer loan-based securitizations of of peer-to-peer loans. So we'll see what happens. You know, rating agencies are always sort of an interesting story, and it's always extra interesting when they're evaluating new types of securities. Right, right. Because I mean, the thing about the SoFi securitization, I mean, these are really, I mean, super prime borrowers in a lot of ways. They, I mean, there was a story just today. CNN Money had a story about the the SoFi was like Wall Street funding rich rich kids of their student loans. So it's really the creme de la creme of the student loan population. So would you? I mean, I guess you know, I guess you could you could possibly extrapolate it out to maybe. You know, with Lending Club, which, you know, the Lending Club, there's been securitizations. Eaglewood, Eaglewood has done one, as I'm sure you know. But you're thinking that S&P, maybe if they took, if they took a tranche of Lending Club, maybe like an A and B rated tranche, you, you know, do you think that's something that would be, that might, that might make it into an S&P rated, you know, securitization? 
I think there's a lot of pressure on the rating agencies to look at consumer loan peer-to-peer securitizations. We'll have to see what happens and, and whether they think they're, they can encompass some you know, previously unknown risks involved in these securitizations. No one really knows how these loans are going to react in a cycle where interest rates are going up. And generally, rating agencies are very wary of uh, evaluating those sort of unknown situations. But I, I can tell you the big story to get is when S&P or Moody's or um, Fitch decide to give a rating to a, a lending club securitization or a prosper securitization for that matter. Right. So, are you, so have you heard anything on that note? I have not, but you can rest assured when I do, I'll be writing a story. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We won't have to wait long after you've heard it, I imagine. Yes. Okay. Okay. And that that would be interesting, I think. Yeah, Lending Club is going to be in the news a lot, I imagine, here pretty soon at some point anyway with their IPO. Now, you know, I had, I had, as I said, I had Renault on last time and, you know, I didn't even ask him when he thought the Lending Club IPO was going to happen because I knew he wouldn't tell me. Um, <laughs> but I'm just curious about, about your thoughts. You've been covering this company pretty closely now and you, you broke the story about their underwriters and the expected valuation. So what's, what are your thoughts on Lending Club's IPO? Is it imminent? Is it happening third quarter, fourth quarter, you know, September? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I think when we wrote the story um, last month, I think we said the third quarter yeah. of or, or thereabouts. Obviously, there are a lot of moving parts. No one wants to IPO in extremely volatile markets, and you never know after August, you know, or during August, stuff tends to get weird sometimes. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's happening is you, you have quite a busy IPO market at the moment, which could be a good thing for a lending club. Lots of investor interest in tech-based IPOs. For instance, we have Alibaba coming up, which right. is one of the biggest IPOs ever. At the same time, though, if, if there's a lot of interest in other IPOs, lending club does risk a, a bit of investor saturation I guess maybe people get a little bit weary of them. So, you know, the timing could move around quite a bit, but I would guess third quarter, maybe fourth quarter of the year. Right. And they could also do, because Lending Club are a pretty small company and with the, I mean, I think there was, some, I think was it Twitter or one of the companies did where you just have like, you can just do like a two-week lead time in your IPO. You can get all your ducks in a row and it's called, I mean, it's like a private IPO. I don't know. I can't remember all the details. But- you know, Confidential filing. Yeah, yeah. Some. I mean, I think uh, there is because because I think with the I think it was a Jobs Act thing or something recent yeah. where you can you can do an IPO if you're a smaller company and Lending Club would fit into that category of being a. I think it was like less than a billion dollars in sales or something like that. That's um, right. So, so under the Jobs Act, you can file confidentially for an IPO if you're a. I think it's called an emerging growth company or, or some acronym like that. Um, mm-hmm. However, I've, I've been told by a few people that that might not be possible for a lending club because of the way they sort of originate and distribute loans. They file everything as securities through the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Yep. So I think for some reason when they IPO, they actually have to go through a public 
process. They can't do it confidentially oh, because of the way they do their security. Okay, I hadn't heard that. That that's that could be quite likely very true. So then, what about the, you? You you reported about a five billion dollar valuation. I mean, do you think that's do you think that's reasonable? I guess do you think that's something that they'll go higher on? What are your you know, the valuation is uh, is something that uh, tends to get some press and if with you know we, when you do comparables, particularly if you compare them to any kind of financial services firm, that's their their it's astronomical their valuation. You know, if you compare with some of the tech companies that aren't making money, then it's it's not that not that uh, ex- extreme. But what do you think of their valuation? Five billion seems a little lofty to me, but as you say, there is a lot of interest in technology at the moment. There's certainly a lot of interest in financial technology. There's still a lot of money floating around the financial system, and it needs to go somewhere. So I I could see a lot of people, you know, finding Funding Club a, a compelling story at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. And also, five billion. You know, five billion isn't that far from the last sort of. Valuation that we heard of, which I think was three point eight billion. Yep, yep, that's right. Just uh, I think it was April, April. So, yeah, I mean, particularly the longer they go, uh, and their you know their valuation has been roughly tracking their total origination number. I mean, not exactly, but and they've just they've just gone over five billion dollars in total origination. So, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. I just I hope it's a successful IPO, and, and um, that will be. It'll be fascinating to see how how it all plays out. So let, let's let's just talk about Prosper. What do you I mean? What have you been hearing about Prosper? Do you think uh, do you think they're going to follow Lending Club's footsteps? What have you been hearing? Yeah, Prosper is kind of um, an interesting story at the moment. They were in a bit of trouble, I think, you know, less than two years ago, and then they hired a bunch of new executives raised a bunch of new money, got kind of back on track, and, and they've been growing, I think, at roughly the same pace as Lending Club. Oh, it's actually faster, much faster than oh, Lending Club. Oh, in there you go. But uh, anyway, go on. Growing faster, but from a smaller base. Sure, exactly. I don't necessarily think that that they want to IPO the company. I, I think they're going to wait and watch and, and see what happens with Lending Club's IPO. But even if Lending Club's IPO goes very well, which I think everyone in the industry wants it to. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really think Prosper is in the market. I don't think they have the same strategy. I think maybe, you know, they'd be looking for a different kind of future. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And so what about Funding Circle? I mean, they're obviously a UK company, the biggest in the business lending space. I mean, do you do you follow Funding Circle being an FT correspondent or is this something that you leave to others? Sure. I generally leave it to others. I've met the guys from Funding Circle a, a couple times when they were visiting in the U.S., but I don't follow them very closely, and I'm not as deeply sourced when it comes to Funding Circle. I generally leave that to my esteemed London-based colleagues. <laughs> right. And Funding Circle certainly get uh, a lot of press from your from your London colleagues there. So what, what about other companies? Are you following any other either – or some of the more established or, or some of the new players, or is it anyone else on your radar that you're watching closely? Yeah, there are one or two. I, I'm afraid I can't really tell you because I do want to do stories on them. <laughs> okay. And I'd rather not tell all my competitors what I'm looking at. Right. But um, there are some interesting players. The difficulty in the space now, I think, is how up-and-comers kind of differentiate themselves from 
more established firms and also from firms that are just kind of jumping on the bandwagon and don't necessarily have a interesting or decent strategy. Peer-to-peer lending obviously has become a hot topic and I think quite a few people are piling in. We get a lot of pitches from peer-to-peer lenders and sometimes it's tough to differentiate between people who have compelling stories and people who are just kind of in it because it's a hot topic at the moment. But I think I've found one or two newcomers who will be interesting in, in the future and I look forward to writing about them. Okay, sure. Because I, 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 you probably get pitched way more than I do and I get pitched two or three times a week um, <laughs> from, from <Yeah. laughs> new startups or someone that's peripherally, you know, like the real estate crowdfunding space is just so oh, yeah. incredibly hot. It's uh, it seems to be a new one coming every week, and most of them sort of make their way to my desk as well. So, and actually on that yeah, point, probably is, have the same problems, right? Right, right. And you know, and I I cover the ones that I think are interesting, the, and the ones that are yeah. Some of them are just this guy's got an idea, and he yeah. he uh, wanted to run it by me before he does any 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 major work on it. So so that they range from that all the way through to we've raised a million dollars in seed capital and we're serious. And those are the ones that I'm more likely to, you know, to actually write about myself. So on real estate real quick, is there, I mean, do you, do you follow that space at all or is that really out of your area? I used to follow a bit of the crowdfunding story uh, back when the Jobs Act first came out. Mm -hmm. We found that kind of interesting. Uh, Also from a bank angle, we were interested in how the large banks were reacting to the Jobs Act. Mm -hmm. I don't follow it that closely anymore. I probably should, but we cover a lot of the crowdfunding space out of our San Francisco office. Right, right. Fair enough. Yep. So before you go, I wanted to get some final thoughts on 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 your overall industry. Obviously, you've been you've been following it for a little while. You've you've probably seen this the spiels from all the companies and the like the white paper that Charles Moldau from Foundation Capital put out that predicts one trillion dollars globally in this industry by by 2025. So do you think that those numbers are, are being optimistic? Uh, are they are they even pessimistic? I mean, do you think this, where do you see this going? I mean, you're covering the big banks, you're covering this this industry broadly. So where do you see the peer-to-peer lending little you know subset of this industry going and how big can it get? Yeah, it's kind of a difficult one. I, I think It's hard to say whether that one trillion projection is optimistic or pessimistic because I think what's happening and what will happen as we continue is that the peer-to-peer industry will become more entwined with the banking system and Wall Street. And I think there will be companies that do sort of pure peer-to-peer lending where they connect you know, individuals directly to other individuals or where they connect investors directly to individuals who want loans. But I think what we might also see are some big banks who kind of adopt peer-to-peer underwriting technology to more efficiently originate their own loans. So I, I think the space will become, it'll become kind of muddled in the future. So it's difficult to, to make a hard line projection for peer-to-peer loans. Right, that makes sense. I mean, that's really what's happening right now. I mean, with Lending Club and all their banking deals, the Union Bank deal, and uh, there's there's lots of smaller banks on their platform. So so that makes sense. So you're so you're going to continue to to cover this industry closely, I presume, over the coming months and years, shall we say? Yeah, I'm hoping to, for sure. <laughs> like I said, I, I think it's a story that 
keeps on giving. So hopefully it'll give me a few more interesting scoops in the future as well. Right. Well, I certainly look forward uh, to reading those, Tracy. So thank you very much for your time today. Thanks so much, Peter. Okay. Bye. Okay. There you have it. So I encourage you all to read Tracy's work that she has done. I'll be linking to several pieces that she's written recently in the blog post accompanying this podcast on lendacademy.com. The thing about the Financial Times, it is you do need a login to read the articles, but they do provide a free registration. You get up to eight articles a month, which should be enough for the casual reader, and that should be able to get you all of, uh, of Tracy's recent writings. So really encourage you to sign up there. The Financial Times do a great job covering this industry and have been a great source of knowledge for me and I know for many others. So on that note, I will sign off and catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.